You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode two of Storyteller Conclave. I am Sarah. And I am Rob. And uh, today we uh, we have a new topic. We are talking a little bit about social combat. Yes, yes. We do have a few updates beforehand because, uh, well, I mean, we started last time, so I guess updates are kind of necessary. Yeah, right. <laughs> so uh, we are working on getting our Patreon, so please stand by for that information. Um, so we will be getting special access for our Patreon uh, people who are helping to support the show and get that ready. But uh, one of the things we're waiting for is our – our RSS feed to go along with that. Uh, so we should be seeing that after our next episode or so. Uh, so please hold on and then we'll be able to have you guys subscribe via either um, iTunes or Google Music or any of your RSS feed uh, methods. Stitcher. Uh, yeah. Anchor I think is one of them. Something there are like so many. Yeah, there's a lot. There, I, I'm sure there's probably 200 more. There's probably like – you know, we're probably going to get like hit with like someone saying, no, you forgot this one and you forgot this one. I mean there, there's, there's a bajillion of them. But uh, so. one way or another though, the point is please be patient. Once we get our third episode up, we'll be able to get that RSS feed up and uh, that will not only be able to kick off our Patreon but also you'll be able to subscribe using your favorite podcast uh, yeah. software. So. And then one other thing that I'd like to throw out there, um, we there was a community project done on Reddit on the uh, 7C forums uh, by Blue Sponge and I'm not going to say you – know, I'm going to say they did a fantastic job of something called In a Tavern and I thought it was such an amazing community project. I'm going to make sure it goes up on our Discord as well as uh, on the Twitter feed so that people can see that. Uh, but it was a neat – uh, tool for storytellers, not just for 7C, although it is a love of mine, um, but it had a wonderful community outreach of different characters you can meet in a tavern because that's something that I think all good storytellers need every once in a while is a, another refresh of something to to explore when you get to uh, a tavern, when your group gets to a tavern because maybe you're at the end of a small quest or maybe you're kind of at a section of your campaign where your characters don't quite know what you're doing and you don't know what to throw at them and you just want something fun. You can go to that list and you can either do random rolling and, and have it come that way or you can just look through the list and find something fun that's in it. Uh, and I did contribute to it. I actually have two sections in there. You'll have to find out which ones are mine. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I will throw the link up there so you guys can see it. But I do give that shout out to uh, Blue Sponge uh, for that one. Yeah, and definitely, like I said, we uh, watch the watch Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave, uh, and there you'll be able to also find a link to our Discord. And we'll mm -hmm. post that link a little bit later, uh, right after the show. We'll have that up there. So be sure to follow us on Twitter, uh, hit our Discord, and uh, you'll find it there. But we have a topic. We do have a topic. A topic that you wanted to crack into. Yeah. And yet I, uh, I was excited about. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how we're going to do this well, one. I think you, you were excited because because social combat's kind of your baby. Um, sort of. Sort of. I don't call it my baby, but it's definitely something that was much more in my wheelhouse after getting involved in 7th C. I kind of didn't have a choice. Right, right. <laughs> it so, took the clue by four to my head. Maybe maybe not your baby, but it's at least your your home ground. Definitely. Your, I would say Your, your home turf. Yeah, so, yeah. Definitely. Uh. I wanted to talk about a little bit about social combat. Um, I think mostly because it is a little out of my comfort zone. Okay. Uh, because I did not come from the same background as you. A lot of my background had to do with D and D and D and D adjacent games, where combat was a major function of it. And just particularly as a person, social combat is not something that I myself feel like I'm good at. Uh, having played in some of your games, some of your 7C games and such, um, and I know we've had this conversation oh, yeah. around the table uh, in, in person where I've told you before, like, I'm kind of lost right now. I don't know what 
I'm doing simply because I'm not – I don't think in that social combat sense. Right. So I, I, I really kind of wonder you know, how many other people out there are like me where social combat is kind of a baffling thing to you where once it gets out of the, out of the realms of I put my sword into the other man, <laughs> you stop seeing exactly how elegant solutions can be right. can so be let's, put out there. Right. So let's get this let's, – let's, let's do some definitions here to see sure. if we can get some people. Now, of course, everybody's going to have their own little thing about social combat, mm-hmm. but I've always seen social combat as – a use of social traits to complete a task mm-hmm. that is used non-physical methods. The moment you step into physical, I mean, even if it's you can grace the edge of it, maybe when you're dealing with social combat. But realistically, we're talking about uh, de- dealing with it in a social manner. Now, social manner might be, you know, innuendo. It might be, um, you know, dominance. It might be romance. It might be allure. It might be attraction. There's all kinds of methods that you've got there within the social realm, but those aren't things necessarily that you would do. Now, I'm not saying that it's strictly, you know, I am a guy trying to get past a guard and I've got to convince them in some convincing way, either lying to them or performing that, you know, I'm somebody I'm not supposed to be. Like that's the classic one that comes to most people's minds. Sure, sure. But there's a lot of other adjacent ways that you can look at it. Um, and social combat can definitely be used for any character class, but obviously some classes excel in it in different games. Bards, you know, are are notorious for their social abilities. Oh, they're, they're, they're the classic the classic talker character, you know, oh I'm useless in combat, but I'm right. gonna, uh, I'm gonna talk my way through everything. I'm the silver tongue devil. Exactly. And in Seven C you've got all kinds of variants of that. You've got, you know, your your femme fatale type people. Even in Adventure you had that kind of stuff as well, where you're you're throwing that social element to change what's going on in the scene and and to get what you want out of it. Sure. Um, and this is, I think, where where we get into a discussion of like levelless, classless systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime you have that freedom, to just kind of open your character to be anything in a classless system, like Seventh C, like most of the World of Darkness mm-hmm. stuff. You open yourself to be able to make any character a social character if that's just happened to be where you drop your attributes. Right. Right. And. In as much as people make a barbarian from someone who is a player that is clearly not, you know, I am a non – like I don't go to the gym. You know that. Like, <laughs> But if I want something strong, I'll, I'll roll up a character that's got ridiculous strength and, you know, you know or, or unbelievable dexterity and I can leap and I can jump. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking of, uh, of you know, Khajiit characters who can jump 120 feet in the air and, you know, hang on barely to the edge of a cliffside and then still rip apart anything that's up there. You know, that's that's physically not me. People tend to do that as well with their characters on a social aspect. Mm-hmm. But it's you know, and in that regard, we have to give them that same level of credence that the player may not be as good as their character, but that doesn't mean that the game system doesn't allow for it. Sure. And I think this is a bit of a contentious point too. Um this is kind of piggybacking off of discussion that's been ongoing on our own tabletop mm-hmm. game that we're we're bringing kind of out here into the open so the rest of you can take part in this conversation here on the podcast. That being that social attributes are really no difficult – they're different from physical attributes in that you're playing a character that you may not meet those same those same levels like Rob was saying. Right. And so why do we treat – social attributes and social contests differently from physical contests. When a person says, I'm going to swing my sword and I'm going to hack that goblin in half, we don't ask them, well, you know, okay, so describe to me exactly the sword technique you're going to use. Are you using an overhand strike? Is it a repost? I mean, there are definitely mechanics for that. We don't go to that first. Right. You just say, OK, you're going to hit the goblin. Roll roll the die. Oh, OK. You rolled an 18. Cool. You hit the goblin. Exactly. So why is it then that when we're like, well, I'm going to bluff my way past the guard, the DM would look you in the eye and say, OK, what do you say? Right. I, th- I think that, that's a that – Then bluff your way past. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And I think that's the misnomer is, is that we we as players or, and storytellers automatically expect – 
role-playing at the table. We want you to be social at the table. And if your idea isn't good enough, sometimes it doesn't work. But that's that's not how the game mechanics get played. There are systems for that. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But I mean if we take D&D even, we're talking about a system that is based upon I have a skill, I have a trait, I roll, I either succeed or fail. You know, and sometimes your approach might be wrong. You know, if I'm dealing with a guard and my approach is to intimidate that guard, I think that's a valid way of getting past a guard, possibly. Sure, absolutely. I may not know the words to say, but that's really for the storyteller to work out with me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the classes things you bring up is the um, uh, the whole uh, when I'm in a, a a digital role playing game and and I get to a certain point, one of the options in my chat tree is to say nothing. To yep. remain silent. Remain you know, silent. You just get that steely gaze and, the, and it's – The classic an, response of the dark brotherhood. <laughs> exactly. And it's it's an intimidation. But that is a method. I mm-hmm. mean there, there's no question about that. But sometimes your players don't know and you've got to let their role win. Well, I've, I've played I've played the talkie character on, on a number of occasions over the years and there's an immense amount of pressure that you are under to actually step up. If you're not using these, you know, a, a sort of a forgiving system mm-hmm. where you're able to kind of roll first and then role play out the results after. If your storyteller is one who demands that you do make that, you know, make that effort to role play it to really, hey, you know, if you want to, if you want to intimidate this guy, be intimidating. Tell right. me, what, what do you say? Exactly. Well, oh, I don't know. I'm kind of on the spot here, man. And I'm not a six foot four barbarian chick with a, Claymore right. that's you know able to steely gaze this guy down and make him wet himself just from the look of me. Like that's not – Right, right. And one of the things that I thought was really cool that I, I was listening to another person who was talking specifically about charisma in D&D and how we fail our players mm-hmm. at not letting them use that attribute properly. Um you know, and one of the things he said, and I thought it was a really neat scenario, is one of his players uh, came up to somebody and wanted to intimidate, and the guy had a ton of intimidation and a ton of charisma, and rolled his dice and got a natural twenty, and he was like a plus six, so he's got, he's rolling twenty six. Sure, sure, you know, sure. If you're gonna roll, roll big, man. There's no question. This yeah. guy just intimidated the hell out of him, and he goes, "Okay, what do you say to him?" And he's just like, "Um, you're nothing but a pig," and the guy was like. And the DM thought to himself, he's like, that's a shitty response. I'll, I'll just rewrite it. And then he thought in his head, he's like, no, no, that's what he said. Mm-hmm. And it's a 26. So he immediately ran in his head and went – and he's like, OK, picture this. Suddenly the guy just – his eyes start watering and he breaks down his shoulders because he just realizes that the last time someone said that to him was when he was six. And it was his stepfather who beat him resentlessly and called him nothing but a pig, nothing but a pig. And so like suddenly this guy is destroyed. Like, just just triggered right in, there. PTSD triggered. flashbacks. Exactly. And so he runs away. Like this giant barbarian dude just runs off because he hit he hit his trigger. And that's what it takes from a storyteller is you have to let your players say what they're going to say or do what they're going to do yeah. and let those numbers do it. I mean it's no different than someone who doesn't know how to fight, sure. has a dagger and rolls a natural 20 and a 6 on something you know four times their size and you're like – well, okay, well, that I hit. You, you deftly roll under this. You yeah. find that open soft spot and you plunge the dagger home and yeah. lo and behold, it's an artery and well, there I, you go, you know. Or or as simply but, as I walk up and I stab him and the guy just did not expect that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, sometimes you catch him flat footed. Exactly. You know? Exactly. But uh, so, OK. So so in this, what would what, what we're suggesting, I suppose, is is the solution of roll first – and describe later exactly. with social attributes. Give them the chance. Right. So, you know, at first this this guy walked up. He says, I'm going to intimidate him. He, so he stated his intent at least. So we know mm-hmm. what role we're making. The DM asked for a little bit of input. Right. Um, the question I like to ask at my table is what is your desired outcome? Yes. Um, if if everything goes perfectly here, if you roll that natural 20, OK, and no, right. nothing complicates the matter, what do you hope is going to happen when that die hits the table? Okay. 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 So that way it gives me a, as a storyteller and, I, and a little bit of insight as to what the player is thinking when they're making this happen. 
And some of that's a little bit of yes and. Mm-hmm. Um, I want I want my players to feel heroic. Mm-hmm. I want my players to feel like they're accomplishing their goals. Right. And just a simple question like that can change something as ambiguous as a social role into a into a really good heroic moment that feels very good for the player. Like for instance, taking you taking this back to the comparison to physical combat, when a person says, I'm gonna hit the goblin, we know what the desired outcome is. Right. I wanna kill the damn goblin. Right. But when you say, I'm gonna intimidate the guard, okay, where where are you going with this? Well what are you are you trying to cow the guard? Are you trying to scare him off? Are you just trying to get him to listen to you as a source of authority so he, he maybe he you know, steps down his own intimidation a little bit. Right. Something like that. What is your desired outcome? Well, I'm just trying to get him to back off. Okay. So now I know as a storyteller, we're going to roll intimidation mm-hmm. and we're going to judge based off of that role how well you do on this. And because you've told me what your desired outcome is, I know how to not only, you know, kind of put words in your character's mouth as as needed because like i said you're not the silver-tongued devil that your character is right right you're not the hulking brute that your character is or something like that right so i'm gonna need to make that sound a little more heroic a little a little better i'm i'm the storyteller that's what i do right and i will know now how to make the guard react i think that's i think that's a good way of looking at it i've got a few other systems in my head Mm -hmm. um one of the things that uh, 7C does well is talk about what is the challenge and what are the consequences. And basically you're trying to get past the challenge to get through it. Like for instance, I'm trying to reach the duke. Like I'm in a giant room, uh, court-style room. There's people milling all over the place. Maybe it's a party. Maybe it's just court in general. Mm-hmm. But I've got to get through the social interaction to get an audience with the duke. That's my challenge. So – what you're talking about to a degree is we have the challenge. What's your approach? Right. 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 Exactly. So, so your approach not only is how are you approaching it but with what skill are you approaching it with? Mm-hmm. So sure. you're using both of those as a leverage and I like that. And then you have your consequences. OK. If I, if I succeed, I get what I'm going to. But is there a chance that I could partially fail? Maybe I don't make all of my successes and I think that's where we kind of get into is this a one-on-one encounter or a mass encounter? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would think in one-on-one encounters uh, are your typical like, hey, I'm having a social interaction with a shopkeeper. Like I'm trying to get the price down. That's a pretty simple approach. It's haggling. haggling. And I might do that through any normal – any number of social mechanics to do that. I might intimidate him. I might lie to him. I might try to be uh, you know, uh, sincere and and, and try to turn him to to my side like, hey, I'm going on this big adventure and I'm going to be helping the whole damn town. You know, so there's all kinds of ways socially that I can approach that. And but in the end, it's usually a single success. Either it works or it doesn't. Right. Right, right, right. So what then and this is this is like I said, the part that usually I falter on a bit mm-hmm. here. What do you do then when it is a larger scale thing? So I will go back to the idea that the ideas that I've always had from um doing 7C and mm-hmm. doing large social events is that it is a chain, a series of events. Okay. You know, okay. when you watch shows like Leverage where you've got all these individual pieces that make up the final string. I was thinking of Leverage just earlier today. Yeah. And and funny enough, there is a system to play the game Leverage and Cortex is that system and I I don't know a ton about it, but you can that's actually in there. Oh, no way, um, huh? It's it's not a uh, I won't get into it. Okay, okay. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> but there is always in a lot of these systems, no matter what the finite mechanics are, you've got a string of events that give you your final result and may give you some compromises that you might have. Uh, Mouse Guard does a really good job of it. Okay. Um, keep in mind, I've never played Mouse Guard. I only know the rules and I really wish I could play it with somebody. Um, I know one of our listeners actually has Mouse Guard and one day I hope he runs it. I volunteer as tribute. Yeah. Um, anywho, uh, one of the things that they talk about is this method of compromise where you're, you try to achieve a goal and you've got your uh, – I'm going to say opposition that's trying to achieve goals. So for instance, I'm trying to get past the guards without being bothered. 
the guards are trying to stop me and take my weapons. Sure. Those are your two things. Mm-hmm. So then a combat, a social combat ensues and based upon the outcome, we determine whether or not the success was a full success, whether it was a failure or whether there's a compromise. Meaning I did succeed in my action. I was able to complete it maybe because I completed enough. Mm-hmm. I got through enough of the requirements. But because I did have some failure, I might have to compromise. So I did get past the guards, but the compromise might be I did lose my weapons or now I have a guard following me to where I'm going because uh, they have to lead me. So I can't just go unescorted. Sure, so sure, 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 that's where those compromises come in. So if you're dealing again like the situation where I want to talk to the duke, I might have to negotiate through multiple encounters, mm-hmm. but those encounters are and can be a little ambiguous. It's all about the approach. Like somebody might say, "Okay, well I I really don't know how to get to the duke, but my character clearly has that you know has the 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 nuts and bolts to be able to do that. So what do we do? So then, as a storyteller, I might set up a series of events. I say, okay, you have to get through six pieces, the six tests, and okay. in those six tests, you have to complete at least fifty percent of them. Okay, so yeah. three of the tests have to be completed successfully for you to get your goal. Now. If you complete all six, maybe something special happens. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I would say like, hey, you get those three done, you're golden. Now, if you fail tests, I'm going to say there's going to have to be compromises to that. Maybe it compromises your reputation a little. Maybe you you get noticed by someone. Maybe it – ticks the you know the doom clock up one notch meaning mm-hmm. that something bad's about to come in the door a little bit sooner uh cuz you know maybe you were aware that the inquisition was just you know was going to show up at this party eventually and now Somebody just ran out to go get them. I, I have it on good authority that nobody expects the Inquisition. <laughs> no, the Spanish Inquisition. Oh, OK. I'm sorry. I was the Castilian Inquisition, totally different. Totally oh, different. Every, I mean everybody expects that. 100 percent. They're going to show up and mess up everything. So so that's that's the kind of systems that I'm used to. Now, I'm I'm totally setting this up and I'm, I'm cracking this door right now. You are. You're definitely cracking open a door. <sighs> Saturday was our – Social combat that Sarah designed for D and D. I had keep in mind, full disclosure. Prior to that date, I knew nothing that she was doing other than that she was exceptionally excited to do it. I was, I was. I see. Rob and I speaking one storyteller to another goes back uh, years. Yeah. Goes back. We'll just leave years. it. At that. And so we'll, we'll we'll go to each other occasionally, and we'll be like, "Hey, you know, I'm running this game, and I just kind of want your advice. I want to bend your ear on this, or like, oh, hey, I did this, I did this thing in my other game, and stuff like that." But now he's in my game, and so I can't go to him with stuff <laughs> going. Oh my god, I wrote this thing. You've got to see this because he's going to be experiencing it in like a week. So. Now you get to know my pain from the D and D game. Just let you know. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No no no. I'm 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 acquainted. <laughs> uh, so the complication here was uh, that the the setup and story is that our our group of uh, characters are investigating a uh, a, a big um, criminal organization essentially that's that's unfolding in this right. uh, in this in this area, and they're trying to figure out why basically the nobility hasn't done anything about it. Yeah, why why reports aren't getting back to the town that we started in uh, about any problems? They're like, oh no, everything's fine. We're like, uh, no, not everything's fine. I assure right. you. Right, we we have uh, hard evidence that everything is definitely not fine. Oh no, no, we got it handled. Yeah, like oh, okay, something very fishy is going on here. So um, our uh, the the same character uh, that we mentioned last episode, our uh, resident asshole noble. <laughs> uh, Used his asshole nobility to get them inserted into a uh, gala ball yeah. at the finance minister's estate. And and strangely enough, we discovered not such a big asshole when he's at those events. It's it's literally his place. No, it's really his wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, like it's yeah. exactly what that character is designed to do. And, yeah, he was, uh, he was fantastic. So he rolled in. Uh, he brought uh, two of the other characters with yes. him as uh, like an advisor and a seneschal. Your character yeah. was like an adv- a spiritual advisor yes. to him because you're the cleric of the group. Yes. Um. And uh, the other the other character was a uh, was a steward for him, and then uh, the steward. The other three characters went in uh, while everybody was distracted, eating hors d'oeuvres and sipping fine wine and yes. enjoying the extravagance. Slinked in through the shadows. Slinked in by jumping twenty feet through the air into a, into an open window. I oh, thought that was pretty cool. Boots of springing and striding, so beautiful, are wonderful. 
uh, and uh, did a little bit of B and E while yeah. everybody was distracted yeah. to kind of g- gather some evidence. Yeah, that and, way. But uh, one of the things that I really liked was that you you built a system, or I should say, you homebrewed a set of rules to incorporate both sides of the interaction. You had the B and E that was going on upstairs, mm-hmm. which in its own right was kind of a physical set of tests but had elements that were going to be involved in the party. So it was a way that we could have those physical players doing things, having mm-hmm. our thief do things, have our, our our Nord do things so that they were part of this incursion and, and information, this intel gathering. And at the same time, while the rest of us were there with our primary character – um, who was actually doing the primary roles, we as two support characters were able to enhance or give him advantage yep. on roles as we succeeded. So – and then you tallied up all of that to give us a total of, OK, well, you guys completed the task. Like we were able to move through these this invisible task list yep. and get successes. So what I did was I, I, I broke it into kind of three columns. Um, just so that everybody could feel useful, and that was mm-hmm. that was really the big thing. Uh, one of our players, Steve, uh, has been. Um, he's a stick jockey. Let's just a, put it yeah, out there. Yeah, he's a stick jockey, yeah. and his his concern <laughs> with the past couple of of uh, games has been that he hasn't felt terribly useful as the stick jockey. He's right. he's you know look. I, we've been I, doing I, a lot of talking. I wear heavy armor. I hit things, and yeah. we've been traveling and talking. Yeah, so. I didn't want everybody to feel like you know, they couldn't participate. Like, oh, I'm I'm not the party sort. I'm not the talker character, so right. I can't be involved. And I think that's a really bad trap for players to fall into. No, um, but he still so, did a lot. Oh no, 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 no. I'm and this this isn't on Steve. I'm saying this is on the storyteller. Is oh no, to no, I agree. make a situation where everybody can be involved. Right. And so uh, that's mainly why I opened up the whole. Uh, covert aspect, the espionage aspect right. of this party as well because whether or not they're going to be taking place in the party visibly, they were still at the party right. and actions they performed. If they botched a couple roles, now suddenly you guys are out you know, eating hors d'oeuvres off of toothpicks and all of a sudden the guards are on high alert and all of a right. sudden things are getting locked down and suddenly right. people are like, OK, well, what's going on? Now they're caging up. They're not answering your questions. They're not as free with their tongues. Or people might that. be leaving. People might be leaving because yeah. oh my god, there's a situation here, and I don't want to be any part of it. None of that actually happened. We kicked ass. None of none of it actually happened. It, it, it went it went flawlessly. Um, I wouldn't say flawlessly. No, it really kind of did. I mean, there was a minor hiccup, but even the people who hiccuped a little bit still right. exceeded their threshold. Right, right. So there was I, compromise. What I did, and keeping in mind this is fifth di- uh, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons for uh, all the multitudes of you out there who are familiar with the system, right? Um, was it kind of ran in five rounds, okay. and uh, we had our public character, right. uh, our noble. We had our supportive characters. That was you and uh, and Matthew's character, the who's playing the steward. Yes. Um, and then we had our three secret characters, and so there was a series of five roles for each character at that table, and. Each group kind of pooled their successes together so that uh, you know all the secret characters working together mm-hmm. and such like that. They all had to make their own individual roles, but it was kind of a cumulative result. Um, the first part was basically getting into the party. Mm-hmm. For the public characters, this was creating a first impression. Yep. And, it was an uh, approach. Yeah, it was an it was an approach. It was your first impression. You, uh, for your supportive characters, it was actually because you were you were spir- apparently in a servant role. Right. Um, at this point, you wanted to be as unobtrusive and professional looking as possible. Right. You and wanted I, you you actually made your roles by not raising attention. Attention. Right. Like I I think if I'm trying to remember exactly what uh, Matt and I did, but I think it was stealth or persuasion. Right. Right. And I ended up uh, taking the persuasion route because mm-hmm. I'm not very stealthy, and uh, basically was doing uh, I guess glad waving where I would. When I would see someone looking over at him, I would a- attend his glance in that direction and make mm-hmm. sure that he – we gave them a- attention, if you will, just to make sure that people were persuaded to continue looking as if they knew. Yep. Yep. And now see, all of this was essentially uh, role play on the player's part. Mm-hmm. So all I did when we began this, I said, OK, so this first round, 
I said, uh, Thalian, you're going to be making your first impressions. As you enter, you're going to essentially either roll an intimidation check mm -hmm. to be like, I'm here. Yeah. I the, am the elephant in the room. The Kuzco, kick open the door. Boom, baby. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, the A performance check to either make a to, – to make some sort of a spectacle of yourself. He is a bard. So oh, yeah. making some sort of a, you know, a grand entrance, possibly waltzing across or pulling out his lute and playing something or whatever he chose to do at that point. Right. Making some sort of a performance check to draw all eyes to him or – a persuasion check mm -hmm. uh, because persuasion in D&D 5th edition covers most of your etiquette right. and such like that. Uh, it, it's directly speaking to people but as well as just comporting yourself mm -hmm. in the situation. So I you know, I gave him that option. Uh, he rolled I believe it's just a persuasion check. Rolled yeah, like he a went. 29 on it or something like that. So. Yeah. And, and what was funny was I, I, I think when he, he said, you know, like, well, what kind of entrance do you want to make? And he was just like, I think I'm just going to wave and just kind of gently walk in. Or like you rolled – I'm thinking in my head, he rolled a 26 and he's gently walking in. OK. Uh, that's interesting. He is strutting in like a damn peacock. He's strutting in like a damn <laughs> peacock but – his posture is oh, correct. perfect. His eye contact is mannered. His waves are perfect, you yeah. know, perfect etiquette for, um, you know, he's, he's not, you know, rubber banding his arm around right, going, right. hey, hi, how are you? You know, right, he's, right. It, it's and just, just gentle. Oh, Good day. Good evening, sir. Good evening, sir. You but he know, knows whatever. everybody's titles. He knows their place. Exactly. He knows when to call someone a regent. He knows your grace and your so, honor. You know. Right. And so we. So I, I give him the description for the role we're making. Mm -hmm. He rolls his twenty six, and then I described to him what the effect of that twenty six was. Right. Then I jot that down as a success because he beat the ten that he needed. Right. Then we move on. Supportive characters. Okay. Yep. Be unobtrusive. They rolled their persuasion. Same thing. Mm -hmm. Rob describes, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm gently touching Thalian on the shoulder and saying that man over there, that's the finance minister. That's the security minister. Right. And made sure that people were noticed and supported him then. Okay, great. Thieves. Our thieves spent the afternoon scouting out all of the, uh, the, the guard rotations. Right. So with advantage, they rolled stealth with the exception of our fighter. Mm -hmm. Who rolled uh, acrobatics at advantage because he has boots of springing and striding and went through a second floor window that nobody was guarding. Yep. Yep. Um, and again, we made the rolls. Yep. We described the rolls. We move on. So what each one of these people was doing is a five-step challenge. Yeah, five f five different – and this was hidden to us. Mm -hmm. But we did five consecutive rolls. Uh, effectively, five challenges within that set it, for each team. It was an approach – or sorry, an entrance, an observation. So getting mm -hmm. the lay of the land mm -hmm. or for the stealth characters, searching around, finding opportune bits of information that might yep. be accessible. Um, an approach. So now that you've found what you're looking for, you need to make contact with that which you're looking yep. for. For the stealth characters, this was, OK, you've discovered the safe – but right. can you jimmy it open? Right. Um, or you've found the files. Now can you search through them effectively enough to find something interesting in right. there? Uh, a move, which is what you're actually – OK, now that I've met with the noble that I'm looking for. Right. I'm going to actually do the thing where I try to persuade him to give up information for me. Uh, our our bard also threw in a suggestion that hey they have good business deals later yes and he's like oh yeah no absolutely and that was like a magical suggestion with a capital S yeah um and then an exit an exfiltration yeah. and I liked how uh, after all of these successes came through you had us effectively roll on on random tables that you had mm -hmm. uh, to give us each one of the bits of information and on the uh, and I'm going to stick to just the social side. I'm mm -hmm. going to kind of ignore some of the things that happened on the uh, on the thieves side, which I thought was really cool. And I think we're going to get. I'm going to definitely get back to one of the things you did okay. that I okay, loved okay, in okay. another in another game session or another story session we have. But um, I I really liked how we gained all these little aspects as we broke down the the, the social aspect. We knew that this we we got this little bit of gossip. As a as one of the assist, as support people about 
uh, this person being in love with another person and that possibly causing a problem. We got another piece of information about the fear that somebody was having uh, of their own life and not sure exactly what was going on there. But that led to another piece of information mm -hmm. in each one of those until we got to – uh, what our primary character was getting, which were the chunk pieces, the actual lockdown truths. Like he got to find out that, yeah, definitely the finance minister is in bed with the bandits effectively and has his own way of getting goods through, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that involves some kind of special thing. And clearly that's, that's the information we needed to know. We needed to know that guy was bought. Yep. And we got all of that, but we got all these little tidbits that came along with it. Um, and I thought that that was just really neat way of drawing all that information out. A lot of that was uh, actually designed um, – now, I, to, in full disclosure, I never played fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons. I was amidst that crowd that I heard the bad reputation it got and basically just believed people when they said that, that was the direction the game had gone. And I didn't even bother. Just walked away. I yeah. just walked away. I had other games to play. Right. Um, and so – one of the things actually that, that I've, I've been hearing from the 5th edition crowd is that like, no, actually like 4th edition had some redeeming stuff in there and one of those things was skill challenges, mm -hmm. which is very much what I've kind of just described here where you have a protracted thing that's kind of open-ended. It's right. not necessarily something where you say, OK, you must roll this. It's more something like how are you going to contribute to this? Um, one of the good examples I had was uh, – I, I heard along the way, I think it was from Matthew Colville – um, if I'm remembering correctly on his uh, YouTube channel, was talking about these skill challenges and he talked about uh, escaping I, – I guess this uh, place was collapsing and they were getting out of the dungeon and they kind of had to go through like a, like a maze or a series of tunnels or something like that right. and escape. And so it became a skill challenge where everybody kind of had to contribute to get out. One of the characters says, well, uh, my character is exceptionally – um, intelligent. So can I roll an investigation check to see if I remember how to get through these this maze of tunnels in reverse? Because right. this was actually how we came in, but going right. you know going out, we're going to take obviously different turns and whatnot. Right. Uh, okay, so that's that's your contribution. He rolls it. He makes it. Um, the tunnels are collapsing at this point too. So the barbarian character says, "Well, I'm going to use my exceptional strength to try to." shove bits of debris out of the way to expedite our retreat. Right. Okay, great. Give me an athletics check. Right. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Going on. No, with I, this. I think it's perfect, yeah. Uh, so I would say a lot of the inspiration for how I jotted down these rules is largely taken from that. Okay. Uh but also probably quite a bit from my experience with you at Seventh C because I know Second edition Seventh C plays a lot like this. It does. It does. There's a there's a lot of uh, sharing of successes. I just wish you all could see the grin on Rob's face when I <laughs> it was said a nice I took, segue. I, yeah, it was that a nice I took segue. this from Seventh C. He's like, oh, I'm uh, so it's, proud. It's, it's, it's like a proud father realizing. Well, like, <laughs> I mean, that's what we're doing here is we're blending. We're, yeah, yeah, we're yeah, finding yeah. the best way to make an enjoyable game. Um, I was actually my brain immediately went to uh, our first edition Seventh C that you seen that you love. Probably the most out of out of a social interaction, mm -hmm. uh, which was the interrogation. Oh, so I will set the scene very quickly because uh, I don't want to roll too far into this. But right, right, uh, we, we got to get the questions. We, we are too. squeezing hard through. We're this squeezing season. hard, yeah. But uh, so the players had all uh, survived an attack and an ambush, basically because of uh, some very keen insight from a sorte uh, player. And and they're out, they're out on the open sea right now too, right? They're in, they're in a no, ship. No, 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 no. This was this was the two caravans. Oh, okay, uh, okay, okay. This okay. is this, the, the, I'll, I'll get to that whole dream sequence one day. But sure, sure. Anywho, so uh, they had pinned down two guys who were still alive, or one guy who was still alive, and uh, the group's trying to interrogate him, and it's it's it, the success wasn't there. And then one of the other players says, I'd like to try intimidate. Well, hold on, hold on. You got to set up who this character is and <laughs> what they were doing the, t the whole time during this, in this interrogation was taking place. So he's on the other side of the caravan 
looking at basically root, rooting through bodies to try and get information. He's basically do, investigating the corpses to see who these people really were, who they were working for, trying to find anything. So his arms are literally covered in blood because one of the characters is an amazing swordsman and literally just eviscerated people. Now, that isn't the best way to handle it as a swordsman, but when you're getting murdered, you're getting murdered. You do what you need to. Yeah. And so his hands are covered up to his elbows in blood as he's been digging through these guys to try and find paperwork or anything. And so he goes, I'm going to come around the edge of the caravan with my hands covered in blood and I'm just going to ask, how's your interrogation going? <laughs> and I thought it was such a beautiful use of intimidation from someone you wouldn't expect it from. And he, I made a roll. He did a great job. And of course, the guy immediately spilled his beans instantaneously because he did not want whatever that guy was doing to the other guy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there, there, there's definitely some scenes for that. So uh, I, I think as we uh, continue this podcast, there'll be more scenes that we will remember that uh, that will come out as these things happen. But uh, Aerosmith. I, I, I'm not even going to crack that egg <laughs> not yet. even going to crack not that egg crack it. I thought that was a beautiful seed, but we will get to that. Not we'll even going to crack that, that egg But that. we have listener questions. We have listener questions, everybody. Yes. yes. Thank we, you. We have some questions from our Discord. Uh, yes. We have five of them. We're going to try to get through as many as possible here. So, yeah. And we're going to do a little sharing here. We're going we're, we're not just going to fire them at each other open-handed here, but I think I think if we start that way, it might might not be a bad way to go. So, so first off, thank you for those people who did yes. contribute questions on Discord. It's wonderful seeing a little participation from the, uh, from the community. Uh, so please do continue to submit those questions. Yes. We'd love to have these discuss discussion topics. Topics. And if you hear something in our discussion topic that we've like gone through today or even last week and you want to ask a question on that, do it. But just ask us. Yeah, and we absolutely. might answer it on Discord, but we'll definitely bring it to the show here absolutely. as well. So do you want to ask the first one or you want me to? All right. Well, our first question comes from a friend of mine, Knox okay. in the Box. OK. OK. Uh, and uh, he asks, how do you think storytelling has evolved from a classical sense to storytelling in a digital age? Are some aspects better now? Have some fallen? How do you balance it for a group of players that are from disparate sides of the tech slash digital spectrum? That is a fantastic question. That is an amazing question. I like it because there's a lot of elements to it that are so true today. I think that we have uh, something that we're going to talk about in one of the shows, the Mercer effect. Um, mm -hmm. where everybody wants to see games that are like these amazing stories being told on Critical Role or or some of the other podcasts where these guys have been doing it for like we have for decades. But they're also throwing extra elements into it and they have these amazing players who who are either characters themselves mm -hmm. or actors or voice actors or who have histories of creating amazing things like that that whole thing makes it challenging on its own right there that the, going from a classical sense to a digital age we now have all kinds of tools to help that like when when i was first starting out the the coolest thing that i could do was draw a map and bring some minor you oh, know, yeah. rubble and things like that oh, into yeah. a game or i would go and find the miniatures that i could find or toys or something that would mimic what was going on and that was epic sometimes you'd throw some lighting in there too mm -hmm. and now we're at a stage where people sometimes don't even play in the same country Oh, yeah. They literally are across the world. And you've got Roll20. You've just got – you've got Discord for voice yeah. and whatnot. You've got Skype games. Um, um, there's I mean, uh, Fantasy Grounds. That's what I was just thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, Fantasy Grounds was crazy. Fantasy Grounds is pretty crazy. Um, now, my boyfriend uses Fantasy Grounds a lot for uh, for his game. Uh, he had hooked up a uh, projector into the ceiling of his brother's house where we were playing because it was kind of in the middle – of uh, where Knox in a box and mm -hmm. I we're in the we're in the same game my boy my yeah, boyfriend's yeah, yeah. D and D game and um uh, so he'd hooked that up and hooked it up to a Chromecast I believe yep, okay and then was using a laptop to broadcast Fantasy Grounds to the Chromecast to project a map onto a whiteboard that was basically your table yeah that was yeah, basically your yeah, yeah. table yeah. Uh, and I mean, it was it was all this technology leverage to put it all together, and of course, he's got music for the background yep. stuff with that. So, I, I've done something similar in my own basement. Mm -hmm. I actually rigged up a mirror so I could project directly onto the table mm -hmm. and try and work that out. And 
each step of that adds flavor and fun and an aspect for someone to get a little bit more visual. Um, but I'll honestly say this uh, to answer Knox is that regardless of the technology and the spectrum and the disparagement between different levels of people, I think still what it comes down to is making sure that you're portraying – as a storyteller, that you're portraying a game world that they can see and feel regardless of what mediums you're using to do it. Right. You right. may not be able to be as flowery in your world to describe something, but maybe you're really good at drawing and you can draw a beautiful map that shows how dank the dungeon is or how uh, how how hard that world is to go through. Sure. Either sure. way, you've got a lot more mediums now to work with and it can get quite expensive. But I think the disparagement between players comes more for what they're expecting. Out of a game, mm -hmm. and I think that's where some of the challenges really come in. What I'll what I'll contribute to this is uh, I think there's I think there's a threshold um, where it becomes too much. I agree. Um, where you're taking away from the actual storytelling. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, I, I mean you've got I, I I heard earlier on another another broadcast that I was uh, that I was watching. Someone was telling the story or, or asking the question, I should say, of um, so D&D Beyond is like a really great, really great tool mm -hmm. for tracking your characters. It's got all the rules integrated and things like that. We use it in our home game and I think it's, I think it's really great. But the, but the problem is, is that that means all the players have their digital devices out 24-7. Right. And when you've got your digital devices out, well, OK, it's not your turn in combat. So you're watching sports or you're, you know, uh, participating in some other online discussion or you're whatever, you know, you're surfing right. Facebook, right. you're playing solitaire, you know, right. and you're not involved in the game. And so I think there's a there, and, and, and I've seen it too, like uh, some of the challenges um, that, that, that my boyfriend has even had is where if the technology isn't working. Oh God! You know, trying to oh, get the yeah. laptop to yep. talk to the projector and the projector. When do you to, stop? To, you, exactly. So there's certain times where he's like, "Okay, there's going to be combat," <laughs> and what you would hope is just a two clicks and boom, we've got a map being projected. Becomes 15 minutes of fiddling, and you know that's it's 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 time consuming, and you want to kind of wrap it up. So exactly, I, I think I think there's a certain threshold where I think every group needs to kind of find that threshold of how much technology do you want to involve. And just make sure that whatever you're doing, wherever wherever that threshold lay, make that where you're enhancing the game. The moment right. it starts to detract from the game, stop maybe yep. maybe stop. Yep. Maybe maybe yep. chill out a little. Exactly, exactly. And look for other th ideas. People, there are tons out there. Sure, 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 sure. All right, let's hit another question. Here. All right, so uh, we have one here from Shibijibi. I love that name. I love it too. I love that name it so came much. Out of, it came out of a, a, a fantastic. Uh, encounter and 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 I'll let her describe it on Discord if people ask. How as a GM do you handle a game that has seasoned players as well as new players? Do you assist the new players more or let them find their own way? Okay. Honestly, I think that that comes down to the storyteller knowing the players going in, and I think we're going to talk about this probably on mm -hmm. several topics. Probably, but when you're when you're picking characters for a campaign, uh, or picking players, I should say, for a campaign, you want to have a, a fine understanding of who's good at it stepping into this world. I mean, pulling someone who's brand new into an existing game who doesn't know anything about the system is going to be challenging for any storyteller mm -hmm. to try and work with. And I think there could be a certain level of hand-holding that can happen there. But I really think that a storyteller should be encouraging the players, the fellows uh, within the campaign to work with them, to help them so that they can become more of a unified group. And I think that's an important part uh, and an important difference in role-playing, uh, at least from my perspective, that you want your players to be able to work together. And you want them to enjoy the story and work through the story together. So I think that's one of the things. But I think a lot has to do with the system. And you want people to know the system and you want to step them in with that knowledge. I think a lot of times outside of the game session, you might work with that player and make sure that they have a good grip on it. I know you did that with uh, two of your players mm -hmm. in your game yep. where you made sure that they understood their 
class, yeah. which is something they had, they were not comfortable with, mm-hmm. and help them get a hold of that class so that the next time they stepped into the session, they knew what they were doing. But I I would say I would I would expand on that a little bit. You said that a certain amount of hand holding, uh, you know, might be necessary. I would go as far as saying I think it's absolutely necessary. I mean, if you've got new players and you're introducing them to this hobby, if you're introducing them to a new game system that they're not familiar with, mm-hmm. I think it's very important to extend that hand. At least extend it and allow the player to say, "Actually, I don't. I don't feel like I need it." But let them know that right. it's there. Right. Um. You know, with our with our own players, the the aforementioned two that I, you know, we, mm-hmm. we've we've held these tutorial sessions for. Um. Just having them, you know, occasionally when it looks like they are tripping up a little bit, just look over to them and say, "Do you need help? Would you like a suggestion on right. how to best roll through this as your character?" Like, oh, no, um, can I can I do this? Yes, you can. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I think this is going to be my my answer to ninety percent of the questions. Is just it comes down to keeping communication open. Exactly, it's the same as in relationships. The more you communicate, the better off you're going to be. That's right. That's right. All right. All right. So Overwatch, Overwatch, a good friend of the show, would like yes. to ask: What tricks do you use to help players flesh out their characters? Are there systems that help with this, things that make it more difficult? I'm going to flat out say this. He's cueing this question. Oh, boy. Because he he is the king of teaching me the 20 questions. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you can find these all – sometimes there's more than 20. But the the 20 questions came to me from Shadowrun Uh uh, as as a system and it is – a neat way to flush out a character. It really doesn't have a lot to do with your stats or your abilities, but it leads you to them. No, no. And in, in, in if I'm remembering, if I'm get, if I'm getting you correctly, I think it's the same twenty questions that I'm that I'm thinking of. Probably. And it's a list of things like, where did you grow up? Yeah. What was your relationship with your parents like? Mm-hmm. What is one thing your character does to relax at the end of a long day? Exactly. What is something that gives your character anxiety? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Yeah, and you'll find those throughout System Seven C has it um, as a, in their character creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, Shadowrun's got it. There's a lot of systems that pull that together, and I think they do a very good job of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a uh, I think that's a great way to help someone who might have a light idea of a class that they want to play, but they're really not good at figuring out how to make a whole concept. Sure, sure. Um, I think things that make it sometimes difficult, and as I random tables, I think can sometimes make things difficult. The the Palladium, uh, TMNT, yep. and Super Spies kind of thing where you're basically just building a character from a series of roles. Yeah, it, it, it develops something. But you're not taking any ownership of that, really. And D and D backgrounds do the exact same thing. I know they've, yeah. they've got the the D eight charts in there where it's like, oh, my character is on a quest for justice. Well, that that's great, but yeah. What? Oh, I have mean? a broken sword as an item. Now I got to figure out what the heck that is to my character. That doesn't and help I mean, me. Sometimes those are good role playing prompts, but I I, I think yeah, I'd, you can I'd stumble. Probably, I'd probably much much rather prefer the twenty questions. And I think the other thing too is again keeping that in open dialogue with your storyteller. Um, in that you don't necessarily just drop the questionnaire on your player and say, come back to me with a fully written character, you know, that's fully right, fleshed right, out. Right, right, But being like, okay, so let's let's talk. I'm I'm a little stumped on question five. Like I, I don't really actually – I kind of know what I want my character to be, but I don't know why they would be with this group. So let's, right. let's have a dialogue. Right. You know, I don't I don't have to feel anxiety over not knowing the answer to that question. I've got my storyteller here to help me. We're crafting this together. Right. And like Dungeon World uses bonds mm-hmm. between the characters. And I think yep. that's a neat thing, but I still think that it could be stumbling for some characters to try and remember that through the system. Yep. Or remember yep. it to do it. So all right. Next one. The Mad Elf. Let's see if we can get these done. The Mad Elf uh wants to know why do you run a game in the first place? <laughs> oh god. Uh we kind of very hit, short and very long answer. I, I, I think, think yeah. I think that is a much longer question and we probably will end up doing a show on that. Uh and I may force him into the studio to help answer that himself. Uh but uh I would support you in that. I think much like we talked about tonight where I I I want I want mouse guard. I want to try it. Mhm. That that's a drive for me. Like mm-hmm. I'd, I'd freaking run it just to try it. Yeah, yeah. I think, or sometimes you have an idea. Like you, you might be watching something or reading a book, and you'd be like, 
I like that character. I want to see that character. I want to do something better with that character. Or I want – I think this villain is shit on this show. I can do better. Mm-hmm. And that drives you to to do a game. I, I think for me it's uh, that I have a lot of stories floating around in my head um, and I want to tell those stories but I don't necessarily want to just sit down and write a book. Right. Because I feel like if I write a book – it's it's an interactive medium. Yeah. You know, it's an it's if I'm writing a book, okay, maybe I it's just me and I'm just typing it and sure I might revise it several times or whatever and I get to tell the exact story that I want, but maybe people read it, maybe people don't. Right. But what I want to do is I want to share that story and I want to participate with that story and I want it to take unexpected twists and turns and mm-hmm. I want to see my friends living through that story. Yeah. And experiencing those highs and lows along with me. And so I think it brings out the best in writing a book and having a party. Yeah, I agree with that statement. I agree with that. All right, let's see if we can get one. Oh, I'm looking at this question. I think this is a story. This is this is like a show question. Heat sink. I'm not even going to say it's H34 sink. <laughs> I did though. I am currently running a game where I am borrowing, adapting a module, and I have I have to update it to match my level eight group. What are your tools, techniques, or guidelines for appropriately scaling encounters? Honestly, there's a lot of different engines out there for doing that. There's mm-hmm. a lot of good rule sets even in D&D that talks about how to scale up monsters. Um, I It really depends on the module. Sometimes I wouldn't change any part of the module. A lot of people will say, well, just throw more at them. And I think that kind of cheapens it uh, because and also doesn't actually appropriately – scale for your group. I mean, yeah, that's great. It, you know, doing direct scaling of of the number is great if your entire group is just fighters. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the challenges should meet the players. So, I would almost wait and look and 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 get a good idea of what your what the classes are. See what their strengths are, see what their weaknesses are. Find out what their you know, figure out what it is about them that's going to make things more challenging. And work from that. Yeah, I've got um, I've got a little harder answer for this. Okay. Um, so first off, Kobold Fight Club is your friend if you're playing D and D Fifth Edition. Uh, Kobold Fight Club, uh, Kobold dot Club, I think it is. I I think that's the one you sent me. Yeah. Uh, is well, we'll put a link. Don't a, worry. a great a great little website that uh, does all of the encounter scaling for you. You tell it how many of what of what level players you've got. And it will tell you if it's a medium, hard, easy, deadly encounter as yep. you add and subtract in real time uh, different monsters from it. Um, so what I would do is I would start off with whatever the modules put in there mm-hmm. and then I would start adding and subtracting what you've already got. The second thing I would do is I would think what other things can I throw in there that are added complications that would fit. Right. So like you said, not just making it from you know three earth elementals to five earth elementals. Right. But like – Okay, so maybe this is an earth, you know, maybe you keep the three earth elementals, but you add in like a bullet or something or something else that would that would show up with earth elementals right. as an earth elemental encounter, mm-hmm. but would enhance it in some greater way. Okay. Um, the other thing I would do too is don't discount the abilities uh, or the 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 uh, value I would say of uh, environmental. Complications. That I was okay. just going to say that. So maybe it's the same fight, but now there are stalactites falling from the ceiling. Right. Give them a doom clock. Give them, yeah, give them some sort of a doom we'll, clock. We'll talk about give, doom give clocks them eventually. Lair <laughs> actions. Just throw yeah. in lair actions, or make one of those earth elementals legendary or something. You know. Right. Uh, there's a lot of nice little tweaks that you can do just to throw curveballs in there that isn't just bumping the numbers. Throw a moral dilemma in there. Put a baby in a cage in the middle of the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now you like can't that. throw a fireball. Sorry. Exactly. Exactly. Or you can. So, all right. Uh, I I I'm, I'm satisfied with that. I think. I think I'm good with that answer. All right. So, and I know our engineer is satisfied with us getting our two minute warning. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna wrap it up for the week here. Uh, next week's topic: um, working from the bottom up. Uh, when a when an NPC should be interesting and some ideas on how to do it. So basically yeah. how to turn random Bob the bartender into someone a little bit more when he gets uh, when he gets a little more attention in the story, when he needs a little more attention in the story and kind of flushing them out. Yeah, and also not going too far so that your 
players don't immediately grab a red herring out of the darn thing. And and how not to completely lock yourself up going, oh, God, I need to write life stories for every single NPC that shows up. So. Exactly. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at, uh, at ST underscore Conclave or Instagram ST underscore Conclave. Uh, we will be dropping that Discord link again in our Twitter and please come join us, submit questions to us, go over the topics of the show that we've already had. Uh, the Discord channel is actually uh, pinned uh, to our Twitter feed. Oh, fantastic. So you should just be able to find it there. We don't need to uh, – shouldn't, shouldn't need to go repost it if I'm understanding Twitter appropriately. Uh, but uh, we uh – uh, let's see here. Yeah, we're on Discord. Um, we'll be tweeting out the links probably to Kobold Fight Club. Yeah, uh, and the other well ones that we talked the, about. As well as the In a Tavern, uh, in a Tavern link as well. Um, we want to give a big thank you to uh, Beyond the Warriors by Gooey Frog. That's our intro music. Our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find both these tracks and so much more on freemusicarchive.org. And thank you again to Podcast Detroit for hosting us. Uh, you can see them at podcastdetroit.com uh, or on Twitter at Podcast Detroit. We'd also like to thank our families, Vicky and Sean, for letting us be here tonight and away from them for uh, a bit, uh, as well as our friends who uh, helped us get through 7C and D&D, our friends at Reddit who give us wonderful ideas and support us, uh, and to you, our listeners. Thank you again, everybody. We'll see you next week.